And I'm Josh Ohara. Um, I do get the privilege, I was emotional as he was just talking about it because of the love that I have for getting to be a part of that ministry, um, those ministries with the junior high kids, uh, mentorship, counseling, but I'm super excited. Um, I'm super excited to be here with you guys this morning and to just um, get to open up the Word of God with you guys. Um, Pastor Sam, Larry alluded to it um, as we were coming together and as we did announcements. Pastor Sam is down in Alabama. Um, Cheryl's preaching a ladies' conference down there, and then Sam is preaching Sunday morning service at a sister church, and then Chris Best and, and Christine are, oh my gosh, Tish is here. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm, like, I'm going to see all these faces that I haven't seen in like a year because I've been gone on Tuesday nights, and I'm in trouble. Help me. Help me, Lord. <laughs> but man, we've got people in Boston. We've got people in Alabama. We've got people in Romania. And as we get rolling this morning, I just want to invite you guys to trust the Lord that God would have his way here with our hearts and our lives, but that he would in all those places that I'm referencing as well. Um, okay, so last week, it was kind of funny. I told the junior high class at the end of the message, at the end of our service together um, in our fellowship time, guys, I'm preaching main service next week, and I just wanted them to pray for me. And there wasn't like a roar, you know, like it wasn't a roar, but there was like a, a noticeable, a palpable excitement. And I was like... I was thinking about it on the way home. I was like, man, that's interesting. You guys, you're just really excited to ignore me in a different context. Like, <laughs> that doesn't really make sense, but I'm, I'm down with it, I guess. Um, man, there's lots of exciting things going on in my life in this season. It's a, a little bit too much, you know, like there's just like lots of transition, lots of really cool things happening in my life. Um, and this serves not so I can like tell you about my life, that's not really that important, but by way of introduction as to where we're going this morning. So I just finished grad school. I'm super pumped about it. <laughs> God's good. God is really faithful. Um, and I, man, I'm excited about the time off that I have before transitioning into full-time counseling. So I'm moving from teaching to full-time counseling. I'm super stoked about that. And I get a little bit of a reprieve before I start doing that, like in July or so. Um, also happening in the season, I'm three weeks away, and this is a bigger deal. I'm three weeks away from my son's first birthday. And I'm just like, oh, it's wild. So, man, there's all these big things that are swirling around. There's more, but um, they've been causing me to reflect, right? I don't know if you guys do that in times of transition, but that seems like the time where I really start reflecting on what's going on in life, um, what God is doing. And it's been hard, you know, like it's just been difficult to have seasons of reflect. It, there's lots going on. There's, um, it didn't feel like there was a lot of energy that I had or space to even devote to, devote to things like that. Um, but I finally had some capacity to do it. And over the past few, past few weeks, um, I've been reflecting on my son's development. Um, yeah, proud dad. <laughs> I'm going to slip one in in every message that I can for the rest of my life. Pretty sure of it. Um, man, I've been reflecting on my son's development because there's something seemingly new every day. You know, he's like figuring out all these things. Um, I've been reflecting on my wife and I's parenting of him. We're working, on to stay the, working to stay on the same page because of all those new things, because of all these things we're anticipating. We're trying to stay on the same page. And reflecting on what I want to trust the Lord in as we keep moving forward as a family. Um, but man, I, I started into those things that are more current, more present, more contemporary, and then I just started going back. You guys ever do that? You just start reflect, reflecting back further and further and further, and then you're like, you're years back. <laughs> well, I got all the way back to his birth. I got back to Ozias's birth, and I was reflecting on his name. So if you don't know, um, I ended up naming, we ended up naming our son Ozias, and that's from Matthew 1, verses 8 and 9. It's the only spot in the whole Bible that shows up. It's the genealogy of Jesus. 
and it's just a name that's kind of slipped in there. I had never noticed it before until I was like searching and scouring the internet for a name for my son. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what am I gonna name this dude? And then I stumbled across this one, I was like, that's pretty cool. So, man, why did we choose Ozias? You're like, what is this guy talking about? Bear with me. <laughs> why Ozias? Well, first, Jerry and I liked it. Good enough, right? No. <laughs> Jerry and I liked it. Uh, we're millennials, so it's got to have something <laughs> unique about it, right? You can't just name them like Josh or something like that. Not anymore. That doesn't work. Uh, so we liked it. We're millennials, but we wanted his name to have some substance, you know, something, some meaning behind it, something, something of, of value, um, something substantial, something that maybe could even provide him with opportunities, opportunities, opportunities. Hello, Lord, help my lips, my mouth. Um, to potentially minister as he grew up, right? What's Ozias mean? <laughs> He'll probably get some opportunities. So we landed on this name, and Ozias is the Greek rendering of Uzziah. Okay, you're like, sweet. Anybody know anything about Uzziah? Raise your hand if you know anything about Uzziah. Okay, this is excellent, because <laughs> no hands are up, like three of them. Okay, this morning we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 26, so if you guys could start making your way there. Um, this is the key passage that details the life of King Uzziah. So we're going to look at the whole chapter. It's a bit advantageous, um, but I'm excited for it. So while you guys are flipping or swiping your way back there, I'm going to provide you guys with just a little bit of context for, for what we're looking at this morning. So historically, Second Chronicles is written by Ezra, right? The, the tradition, um, history shows that Ezra writes this book, and it focuses on the rise and the decline of Israel under King Solomon. So after Solomon passes from the scene, kind of early in the book, Second Chronicles focuses on the kings of the newly divided kingdom. So the kingdom splits, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. And this chunk, um, chapters, I mean, primarily 24 through 26 and surrounding, um, focuses on some of the kings of Judah during this time, okay? So there's lots of names, there's lots of history, you'll see that this morning, but there's lots to be learned. There's lots to be gleaned for us. And we don't have the time or the space to really crack open everything um, or even all that much surrounding the kings prior or, or after Uzziah. But I want to give you just a little bit of a taste. So a few uh, rulers before Uzziah is Queen Athaliah. Don't get lost in these few names, all right? Don't get lost in them. <laughs> Queen Athaliah. What do we know about her? In chapter 22, she tries to kill off her grandchildren. After her is Joash, and that's Uzziah's grandpa. He has the prophet Zechariah, he's got his own book, stoned to death. He makes that command. And then later in chapter 4, he's murdered by his own servants in his bed. The ruler just before Uzziah is Amaziah, so it's his dad. He defeats this idolatrous foe surrounding him, only to then worship said idols that they were worshiping. He turns right to them and starts worshiping those idols. So, man, just, just from that, you get the idea, you get the picture, that the stage that we're, we're hopping into in chapter 26, this is a mess, right? The kingdom of Judah is largely a mess. There's pockets of good, there's po pockets of worship, there's pockets of faithfulness, but it's a mess. So as we jump in this morning, I want to frame this out just a little more. We're looking at a historical king. Um, we're looking at a historical account of his life 
But as we do so, I believe we can look at this passage and inspirationally use it in two different ways. So the first one is as a template to pray for our children. Ozias is really cool. Sounds great. Ozias Ahura. When he's seven, he's going to be 007, right? It's a cool name. But man, this chapter right here is, it's the reason why we chose the name. Um, and, and it's the thing that I've been praying for my son in large part. There's other things, obviously. But this is a framework that we can look at inspirationally to pray for our physical um, children, but also our spiritual children. So that's one of the ways in which we can consider this historical passage. The second is I believe that this passage provides us with an opportunity to reflect on the state of our individual and collective ministry at Midtown. What is the state of our ministry? Where are we heading? How are we going to finish? So our thesis this morning, uh, if you guys have the notes, if it's online, it's, it's in your hands, hopefully. Um, our thesis this morning is we cannot afford to move from the place of power and prosperity to the place of pride and presumption. I don't know why I do it, but whenever I use alliteration, it's nearly always P. <laughs> so there it is for you this morning. Our thesis is we cannot afford to move from the place of power and pr prosperity to the place of pride and presumption. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Um, we do lift up your name. We exalt you. God, you're worthy of our lives and all that we are. And God, as we, as we come before you this morning, we just want to humble ourselves under your word. Um, Lord, use me, a foolish and a weak man, to declare what you've shown me and, and just made meaningful in my life. And make it meaningful, make it clear, make it plain to this group of people that we might um, have hope. Lord, we recognize that Second Chronicles is historical and it's not written directly to us, but man, as your word says, it's, it's written for our learning and that we might have hope, that we might be built up. So Lord, would you do that work like only you can do this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this chapter breaks down into three different chunks. Chunk number one, um, man, these, th these three chunks, they, they describe the three different sections in this chapter, but they also describe the three different stages of Uzziah's life. There's three pretty distinct stages. So chunk number one, I just called it simplicity. So <laughs> when I read these first seven verses, you're going to be like, that doesn't seem simple, bro. <laughs> like, I don't know what the heck's going on. Um, but I'll call it simplicity. So let's look at this passage. Uh, verse 1, 2 Chronicles 26. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. So we've got some context. Looking at verse 4, it says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to, all, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And he went forth and warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod, and built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines, and God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in Gerbal and the Mehunims. Hello. But man, I remember as I was reading through this, this chapter and this section of scripture the first time, just being super excited. I was like, okay, I found a gem. Ozias is pretty cool. I'm gonna trace this thing back. What's going on with this guy, right? Who is those, who's Uzziah? And then I read these first seven verses, I'm like, all right, we got something to work with, right? Verse 3, Uzziah is leading as a young man. 
He reigns for 52 years. It's the second longest reign of any king of Judah. In verse 4, he's desiring to obey and do what is right. If you just look at the scripture, I'm just highlighting what is said here. Verse 5, he's engaging in relationships with those who he knew followed God. He went right to Zechariah. He knew that Zechariah had understanding and he wanted to be around that himself. And he sought the Lord individually beyond that. He's warring against the enemy. He's breaking down their walls. He's building amongst the crooked and perverse world that surrounded him. Maybe you guys have, I, don't, I was trying to think of who it is. You guys ever just like see somebody and you're like, that's that guy. Wow. Like you look at him and you're like, that's that guy. Somebody who's really impressive at first sight. Um, somebody who's seemingly doing it all right. And Uzziah, in this first chunk of his life, this guy's got it going on, right? Okay, so I wanted to drill down here just for a few moments, probably a few minutes, <laughs> um, because Uzziah's early life lays out a really simple pattern for us as believers that we would do well to follow as disciples of Christ. So there's four steps, and it's a simple pattern that Uzziah's early life lays out. Let's check it out. Step one is to seek. Verse five, it says, Uzziah sought God in the days of Zechariah, and he sought him out. He, he wanted to find the Lord. <laughs> he wanted to be close. Uzziah recognized that he had reason to seek the Lord God. If you think about these things, we've got a little bit of the historical understanding of what's going on around Uzziah, and he's thrust into authority as a 16-year-old. Bro, I was a mess. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. You might have had it more figured out, but I was a hot, hot mess at 16. If you throw me in any sort of leadership, I am, whew, <laughs> not good. But he's thrust into authority in the midst of war surrounding this kingdom he's leading. He's surrounded by the enemy with different objectives on all sides. And he's in need of wisdom that he didn't have in and of himself. And he recognized those things. He had reason to seek the Lord. And I want to ask you guys, I was asking myself, are we not in the same position? If we're looking at this historical passage inspirationally, are we not in that same position? Paul thought so. 1 Timothy 1.8, he says to Timothy, he's charging him that he might war a good warfare because there's a war taking place. What does that war look like? Not like Uzziah's, right? Where he's going out and <laughs> like clashing of the swords. But it's Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So while Uzziah fought a physical war, we engage in a spiritual one. It's just as clear. It's plain as day. And we too must seek the Lord. We have to. But what caused Uzziah to seek when so many, like if that context was true, but then so many other people were not seeking the Lord, what caused him to do so? Um, this isn't comprehensive, but he, he understood that he had need. He needed the Lord. Seeking puts an individual into a posture of humility. It, that person, they say, I don't have the information or the wisdom or the whatever it is that I need so I'm going to go find that thing. I'm going to go find the person. I'm going to go find the place where I can get that. I'm going to seek it out. Uzziah recognized that he didn't have what he needed in and of himself, so he went and found it. So with our circumstances being so similar to Uzziah's, and would we be so arrogant to conclude that we can get by without seeking the Lord? That's what I was asking myself. And, do, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Never, no. But... I mean, we answer that question day by day, right? 
We answer that question moment by moment. When we reflect on our actions, maybe that's our prayerlessness or our lack of a meaningful devotional time in, in God's word, we're answering that question with a pretty resounding yes. I don't need to seek you. Okay, so the, in this simple pattern that Uzziah's early life lays out, man, we need to seek the Lord. Um, the second thing, the belief that he would find. Step two is find. That's your blank. Verse four, it says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So if he's seeking and then he's doing, in between there, he had to have found the truth, right? He found the truth. Um, and this phrase, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, this phrase is said of a number of kings who ruled during this time period. If you go through the Chronicles and the Kings, um, you see this phrase pop up from time to time. And there's typically a caveat, right? He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but, or something afterwards, right? So Uzziah has a caveat as well. And his is according to all that his father Amaziah did. And if you look at the preceding chapters, you see that Amaziah wasn't a perfect dude. He did not have it all figured out. Neither did Uzziah, right? And neither do we. Um, but Uzziah's general posture was one that desired to find the Lord and to be right in his sight. That was his general posture. For a young man to be in this position, that's a big deal. That's really sweet. <laughs> I'm thinking about our students out there. <laughs> so Uzziah didn't just look long enough to say that he had, you know? He didn't just like look around for a while, seek with no real intention of finding or just to check the box and move on. Uzziah believed that if he went to the man of God, that he would find truth. If he went to Zechariah, that Zechariah would direct him towards the will of God for his particular life. And Uzziah believed that the word of the Lord was what he needed to find in order to rightly navigate his life. So all throughout this message, I'm asking myself, as God was showing me these things, is that what I think? <laughs> like, is that, is that where I land? And I encourage you guys to do that as well. Just like us, Uzziah had plenty of reasons that would make him seek the Lord, but also plenty of reasons that would make it difficult to do so, right? It'd be really difficult for Uzziah to seek the Lord if he wanted to look at all those difficulties. He's thrust into power, and as the king, with war going on all around him, infighting, people in your own house trying to kill you potentially, based on the historical track record, he certainly had responsibilities, right? He had plenty of them. He had things that required his attention. He had an agenda but he knew that he needed God. So he didn't allow those things to come in the way of actually finding him. Okay, so, man, it, it's so sweet to get to that spot, right? If this was all that it was, if this is all we talked about this morning was finding and seek, like seeking and then finding the Lord, life's pretty good. As I find the Lord, as I found the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the amens because you guys know it to be true as well. And if you don't know it yet, keep seeking in the Lord and you'll find him. And you'll see that life is far sweeter than anything you could find out in the world. To have our mind renewed, to see the Lord for who he is and how much control he has, even in those chaotic situations, man, that's good. Okay, so in this simple pattern, steps one and two, we seek, we find. Step three, man, in Uzziah's life, he sought to obey the Lord. So our step three is obey. Verse four, again, it says, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He didn't just look at it. He didn't just know it, but he did it. Verse six, it says, he went forth and he warred. That's not a comfortable thing to do, <laughs> but that's what God was leading him to do. Like there's these way back promises that say, this is your land, you're supposed to inhabit it, and these people aren't supposed to be there. <laughs> Take it. 
So he's, he's following in the leading of the Lord. And even when things were difficult, he said yes. So he obeyed. Uzziah understood that it wasn't enough to simply seek and find the truth, but that he needed to live it out in his life, day by day, moment by moment. He wanted to obey. And in this obedience, God did what he does, right? God did what he does. God made him to prosper. So step number four is to prosper. Verse seven, it says, God helped him. There was evidence of the Lord moving in this young man's life. He's experiencing victory against the people that are surrounding him and opposing the mission that God had called him to. And I, again, I was asking myself lots of these many questions as I was working through this. I invite you to consider this one as well. What is the evidence, again, asking me first, not coming at you. If God's coming at you, cool. What's the evidence that God is prospering you and working in your life? Where can you see that? Verse 5, it says, and this is, this is really the verse that, you know, I'm like, we're going to name our son Uzziah. <laughs> this is really awesome. Verse 5, he sought God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Amen. And that's just the, that's the fact of the matter in our lives as well, right? With our circumstances surprisingly similar to those of Uzziah's, we too must, we can't afford not to, we must seek, find, and obey if we have any desire to prosper in this life. And Jesus extends us, you're like, man, this is coming out of Second Chronicles 26, okay, inspirational. Jesus extends this invitation just as clearly in the Gospels to his disciples to follow this same simple pattern that he gave to Uzziah. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, obey. John 15, four through eight, lots of things. You're familiar with it. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Down in verse seven, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Seek, find, obey, and you're gonna prosper. So Jesus is saying to us, to his disciples, the same things that he was saying to Uzziah thousands of years ago, and what God has invited us into throughout history. Man, seek me out. Find me. Do that work. When you know what you're supposed to do, whenever you've heard my words, live that out. Obey that, and you will prosper in this life. So key point number one, we are only truly prospering when we're seeking and obeying the Lord. We are only truly prospering in this life when we're seeking and obeying the Lord. So prosperity is defined throughout scripture um, as an advance, um, to, to make progress or to succeed in something. These are the ways that the word is used throughout scripture. And there's two real types of prospering that you'll see. I don't, I'm not sure if this is comprehensive, but there's two main categories of prospering. The first one is a worldly prosperity. And this is the one we get hung up on all too often, and it prohibits the real prosperity from happening in our lives, as we seek out this worldly prosperity. What happens when we seek that? Psalm 73 talks about it pretty explicitly. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. These people that are increased, they're succeeding in this world. They're making progress or advancing. That happens, they're, they're, they're succeeding in other things, and we can be envious at that. 
Later on in the chapter, in verse 12, it says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And there's, there's aspects of this worldly prosperity that seem really attractive to our flesh. And we can get hung up on those things. But if we continue to read and continue to examine what God says about this worldly prosperity, we find in Proverbs 132, the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. When we, Jesus says it all over the place, right? If, if you're going to sell your soul out to make a kingdom in and of this life, you're going to lose everything. <laughs> you're going to lose everything. So there's a worldly prosperity, but then there's a godly prosperity. And this is the one that God is promising. <laughs> He's saying, I will do this if you seek and find and obey. I'll give you this prosperity. Look at how different it is. Deuteronomy 29.9 has been there from the beginning. Moses to the people of Israel, keep therefore the words of this covenant and do them that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Just keep my words. Know them, <laughs> seek them, find them, obey them, and prosper in all that you do. I will prosper you, God is telling his people right from the beginning. 2 Kings 18, 5-7, Hezekiah gives a beautiful example of this. And man, I hope, I'm, I hope this doesn't feel like too, like, <laughs> I hope not. I hope you're with me, but. Um, and Hezekiah gives this really beautiful example of doing exactly that. It says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went, and, re and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. So this, this desire, man, because, because Hezekiah had done this through these smaller situations, whenever it came down to his livelihood, like the king of Assyria is saying, hey, you better cut this stuff out. We're going to come wreck your shop and take your city. He's like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to withstand the enemy. And he's got boldness and confidence to do that. You see in Joshua 1.8, kind of the penultimate or key verse surrounding this idea of godly prosperity. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Only mention of the word in the whole Bible. If you want success, if you want prosperity, God's word has to be hidden inside of you that whenever things get, whenever circumstances of life squeeze you, that is what comes out. But the simple acts of seeking and finding and obeying lead us to godly prosperity. Guys, if you don't know it, if, if you're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? This is where God wants you to remain and stay and live and have your being. This is the spot that he wants you to be. It's always been the spot. That's his will, is that you would prosper. Not in the world, but in him. But when we don't, the inverse has to be true, right? The inverse is true as well. If we aren't seeking the Lord, we're not going to just stumble upon him and find him. When nothing in our life is falling out to like trying to find God through his word, we won't accidentally be obeying God's word. That's not what our flesh is wired to do. Oops. Oops, I obeyed the Lord. That's not happening, at least in my life. Maybe you guys got a different flesh than mine, but I don't think so. And when we aren't obeying it, we're not prospering. It's the inverse. Second Chronicles 24, verse 20. Uh, here's our guy, Zechariah, speaking a couple chapters earlier. 
The Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, which stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, why, why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Don't you know? Like whenever you just choose to live that life of rebellion against what the Lord has called you to and invited you into, that you're, you cannot prosper in that place? Don't you know? Says this prophet in the midst of the people that don't want to hear it. <laughs> Jeremiah 10, 21. He's giving an account of the, the condition of what's going on there. For the pastors have become brutish and have not sought the Lord, therefore they shall not prosper. Just as sure as the promises that we will prosper when we seek and find and obey the Lord, the promises are just as clear that when we don't, we won't. And I was encouraged by this. Those don't feel like encouraging, friendly verses right there, right? But I was encouraged at this study in its simplicity. And I can just seek and find my Lord. I can return to that place. I got, I got to have him. Because oftentimes we, we really do complicate things, right? I just want to encourage you guys this morning to draw nigh to the Lord. Because when we do that, he promises that he's going to draw nigh right back to us. As I've done this in my life, and I know there's others in here that can attest to this, there's just nothing better. It's not even close. There is no worldly prosperity that compares to the prospering that comes from simply living close to my Lord and my God. There's nothing like that. And we wonder why we feel stuck or low or burnt out or like we're just grinding to get through the day or the week or we're looking towards some horizon that's like always, I don't know what I'm picturing in my head, but you're like speeding on the little moped and trying to get to the horizon you never get there. Man, we're just slogging through life, seeking this worldly prosperity and seeking to build our life and our kingdom here. How can we expect to have God's favor when we're actively choosing to rebel against what he's called us to? It doesn't really make sense. And yet we do that. So I was asking myself, and I encourage you guys, encourage you guys to genuinely reflect with me this morning. Our first key question is abiding with the Lord and seeing his kingdom advance, our definition, my definition of prospering. Is that our definition of prospering or have we clung to this worldly definition? Are we pursuing this worldly definition? Are we guaranteeing that we won't have godly prosperity in seeking this worldly prosperity? For the first part of Uzziah's life, this is his definition. These steps that we just saw, this is his definition. And because of this, the Lord made him to prosper mightily. <laughs> There's incredible increase in this kingdom. Okay, so, man, a lot there. Let's, re let's recalibrate. Uzziah started really well. Simplicity. We can do that too, right? If that's all you get from this morning is I can follow these simple steps, praise the Lord. Please do it. <laughs> God, help me to do it as well. So Uzziah started well, but chunk number two is diverted focus. Diverted focus. So let's look at verses 8 through 15. Verses, verse 8. And the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad, even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the turning of the wall, and fortified them. Also, he built towers in the desert, and digged many wells, for he had much cattle, both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also, and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. 
Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands according to the number of their account by the hand of Jael, the scribe, and Messiah, the ruler, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. Don't get lost in the names and the history. Stay with me. Verse 12, the whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. God prospered him mightily, right? There's a lot of valiant men that are standing with him. And under their hand was an, was an army, 300,000 and 7,500, that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Verse 14, and Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host, and everybody gets one. <laughs> shields and spears and helmets and whatever an habergen is and bows and slings to cast stones and he made in jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal and his name spread far abroad for he was marvelously helped till he was strong so chunk one uzziah sought and he found and he obeyed and he prospered because of that and as he had success and he set the aim to continue to accomplish what the Lord had called him to do, he got off track. In verses 8 through 15, you can sense a shift. You guys pick up on that? You can sense a shift in Uzziah's life according to God's account of what's going on in the second chunk. While the Lord was often mentioned and actively moving in Uzziah's life in the first section of this chapter, in verses 8 through 15, God is not even mentioned. Instead, the focus is on Uzziah and what he was accomplishing. Verse 8, his name spread. He strengthened himself. Verse 9, Uzziah built towers. Verse 10, all these things, towers and wells and cattle and husbandmen and vine dressers. Verse 11, Uzziah had a host of fighting men. Verse 14, Uzziah prepared shields and spears and helmets and habergens, bows and slings. Verse 15, he made engines. Verse 15, again, his name spread. So Uzziah, though the Lord, through the Lord strengthening him and prospering him, seemingly began to believe that it was he himself that was strong. Instead of seeking and finding and obeying and then prospering as the Lord helped him, Uzziah began to focus on strengthening himself. And all too often, we arrive at the same inaccurate, unfounded conclusion. The things that Uzziah and his people developed very well could have assisted them, right? Very well could have assisted them in the battle in which they needed to engage. And maybe they even did for a while. It's not super clear, right? Maybe they even did for a while, but they, what they could not alone, these things, all the stuff that's mentioned here, they could not alone serve as the reason for victory. They never would. As we've already seen, it's the Lord that makes us to prosper. So I wasn't here um, at MBT whenever the, the whole thing kicked off, right? I think we're almost 15 at this point. Somebody here knows. We're getting up there. We're, we're a teen for sure. <laughs> we're moody. Um, I wasn't here from the very, very beginning, but I have been here for a little over 10 years, and that makes me touch my grays and my hair that are coming in. <laughs> um, it makes me feel a little old, but man, I was here for the Kid Town carpet, that blue and swirly, nasty stuff, no real rooms, you know, like the half walls that you could like look over and be like, you guys good over there? It's pretty loud. <laughs> Kid town carpet, no rooms, and Kaya's meeting back in Sam's office, I don't know how that worked, there was like 12 or 15 of us to like at that point in time, with Dan Renault leading, you know, like this tiny, tiny group, the kitchen transformation, 
the pipe room turns into what five or six rooms now, and there's lots that have hap- lots that have happened over the course of just the time I've been here. St. Paul's, the theater, this new building, super cool, church plants, God moving and changing and, and absolutely altering the trajectories of people for his own glory. As I see it, we have been marvelously helped. Marvelously helped. And, and just glory to God for how he's, he's worked and what he's done and how he's built and, and grown this people. We've been marvelously helped, guys. While I'm so grateful for the men and the women who lead this body, I want to, and I want to be sure to honor them this morning um, for how they've yielded their lives. They, they humbled themselves. They, they gave up worldly prosperity, and they sought him above all else. I want to honor them for how they've done that. But we are not strong. We haven't done this <laughs> And we won't do what is to come. If there's any strength present here, it's because the Lord is evident in and through us. That's always been the case. Strategies and weapons and defenses we see in this chunk, programs, structures, resources, God can work through them, and he does. I'm not against them whatsoever. I'm not. I'm so immensely grateful to belong to a church that believes in a biblical discipleship. We just take the scripture and we're going to do what Jesus did with his disciples. Praise God. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church body that has a clear path for growth. I don't have to like wonder or like just figure it out or there's like these 18 different methods and everybody's like, where are you at? And I I know how to grow according to the word of God. I'm so thankful to belong to a church with ministry, ministry structure and we should do all these things well. I think we're, we are doing these things generally well as the Lord empowers us to do that because they give clarity as to how people should move forward and live a life that God has called them to, right? That's what those things do, is they, they, they serve as vehicles. But as we continue to move forward, it has to be God that is working, not the tools. We have to be reliant that God will be the worker, he'll be the way maker, he'll be the mover and the shaker, and it won't be these things, not these tools. It's God that is working, not the instruments, not the vessels. Key point number two, I say this in love and I say this about myself primarily, and we're as foolish and weak as we've ever been. We're as incapable as we've ever been. I love you guys dearly, I really do. I really, really, really do. I'm talking about me, probably more than you. We're foolish and we're weak, and we always have been. And I'm so thankful for that reality, right? I'm so thankful that we get to just be that. We, get to, we just get to be that. I'm so thankful that I can rest in that, right? Because the Lord has shown strong in our weakness. Paul understood it, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. And he, he's, he says this in a number of his epistles. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, and reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We got to remain weak, identifying as that, right? We got to identify as this weak individual that God's power can rest upon. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, the posture that we can take as we engage in ministry activity. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, 
But man, I just declared unto you the testimony of God. And that was good, brother. That was so good, Elias. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we just got to camp out there and continue camping out there. I'm so, like I was thinking about it, I'm so thankful I didn't get to be a part of the origins of MBT, but I got to see a number of times just go down to Tampa, like five different times at different stages, and they're just like, whip. <laughs> and we don't have it, like that's, that's just the character of everybody that I've met down there is we don't have it figured out. We're weak, God's strong, he's gonna do it, let's roll. Just me and my God <laughs> in, this, in this little building we're meeting in. And he's transforming lives. It's so sweet. But key question number two, will our reliance and our focus remain where they should. So these two applications, Midtown's ministry, our individual ministry moving forward, will we continue to rely and focus on the things that we need to? Will they, will they remain where they should? Because Uzziah started really well. He really did. <laughs> and he was marvelously helped. And he reigned a long time. I don't really know when this whole thing went down where he kind of screws the whole thing up. But he was marvelously helped till he was strong. It's like, I'm not weak, I'm strong. <laughs> what was true of Uzziah has been true for us. As long as we have sought the Lord, God has made us to prosper and we have been marvelously helped. But we too can move from a place of prayerful dependence to a place of pride and presumption. We have that in us. We can have buildings and resources and influence and we can produce materials and we can equip believers and we should, and we are. We're called to do that. But as things get bigger, as they get more intensive, as they become more complicated, we have to stick to the simple things. We must. So personally, and just thinking about seeking the Lord recently, will I, will I keep my myself in the right spot um, in this season of life. I took two big tests, you know, like one is will I graduate? And then one was can I be licensed as a, as a counselor nationally, right? And I'd never done anything like that. I took tests for teaching and all that stuff, but I never took these tests. So I was sitting there and there's a lot of uncertainty, you know? There's a lot riding on these bad boys. <laughs> like I gotta pass these things or I just wasted like a lot of thousands of dollars and a lot of time, and I missed Tuesdays for like a year, and I'm gonna be mad and sad, <laughs> and I didn't want that. So it was a big deal, there's a lot riding there. And because it was a big deal, because I saw the need, I was, I was pretty consistent, I'm not, I'm not that guy, I'm not a big deal, but I was pretty consistently calling out to the Lord for help. <laughs> Please strengthen me. Please give me favor on the questions that are even asked. Please help me to study the right things in these giant books. God help me. So I sought him through consistent prayer. I found him, he gave me peace, had peace the whole time, and then he prospered me, right? And I passed the test and I'm excited, praise God. But you know what was harder to seek the Lord in? I had a final presentation and it was 10 minutes. And all I had to do was get up and talk about how we can use biblical principles to resolve conflict in the family. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> like that was my fleshly, natural, initial response was like, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> no big deal. 
all my classmates were, we had this group presentation, and they're all freaking out. They're like, oh gosh, I got to talk in front of 12 people for, you know, like 10 minutes? I'm like, you guys should kind of chill. Sheesh. <laughs> but man, I was telling my, I, I, like, not directly, not explicitly, I was thinking in there somewhere unconsciously, I've done this before. I'm comfortable here. I can do this. I don't really need to go through that whole process because I've got this. I was, I was telling myself, I'm strong. And in saying so, I was saying to the Lord until I humbled myself and figured it out, I don't need you here. I don't need you in this aspect of my life. And what I was realizing as I was, as I was working through this is it's hard to continue to seek the Lord when you've already found the right things. It's hard to just keep going back and continue to ask him for continued wisdom and direction and provision because we're like, we, like we know the, the mind of the Lord, and we do, but man, we need to continually seek his face and not operate from a place of presumption there. So we must continue to seek and find and obey the Lord despite already having a pretty darn good game plan and vision and direction of ministry because Uzziah started well, he diverted focus, and now let's look at this final chunk. Chunk three, uh, starting in verses 16, I called this the heartbreaking end. It's heartbreaking as I read this. I was like, man, can I name my kid this? <laughs> can I name him Mosiah still? Because this is a failure. This is a tragic ending, right? Second Chronicles 26, verse 16, it says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him. Whoa, bro, you can't be in there. And with fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord. You can't do that. But to the priests, the sons of Aaron, this is, their, this is what God has them do that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Verse 19, then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out from thence Yea, him, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. Verse 21, the last few verses here. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, separate, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's house, ju judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts, excuse me, of Uzziah, first and last, did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the burial which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. And Jotham his son reigned in his stead. So lots there. But this is a heartbreaking end, guys. I said at the beginning that Uzziah was that guy. You know, he was that guy. But he figured it out, too. That's the, that's the tough part. He figured out that he was that guy too. He figured out that he was strong and that he had it going on. Uzziah was caught up in all that he had done and all that he had accomplished and he'd become puffed up with pride. He viewed himself as strong and not to be withstood and assumed that the things that he knew were off limits were no longer off limits to him. 
So key point number three, we are all susceptible to pride and presumption creeping into our lives in a heartbreaking end. Lord, help us. We're all susceptible to this. This could be the end of all of our stories. Just because we have figured out the simplicity of following Christ according to his word leads to fruit and leads to blessing for both ourselves and for others, it doesn't mean that the enemy is just going to be like, well, guess I can't mess with him anymore. Can't touch that guy anymore. Seven times in the New Testament, God encourages the believer to be sober. Be sober, be vigilant, 1 Peter 5.8. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's not like, he's not just like done with us because we've got this simple pattern figured out and we've been successful for even years. Like, I don't know how long this was until Uzziah. I, I, I mean, I think he reigned for 52 years. I'm slow, so I need some help. Somebody help me out on how that, all, that timeline really worked. But I think he reigned for a really long time and then messed up royally. The enemy was successful in devouring and derailing Uzziah, and he has his sights set on us as well, both individually and collectively as a church. So the key question in this final section could have been, will you be valiant like the men in verses 17 and 18? Will you withstand people like Uzziah and hold them accountable? And everybody's like, yeah, I love calling people out for their sin, for sure. I'm in. I'll be there. I could be one of those 80. <laughs> when, where? What do you want them to do? But key question number three, when God or God's people hold us accountable and our sin is seen, because it happens, we've got a flesh nature that still exists, when our, fle when our flesh, when our sin is seen, will we be wroth, angry, or, we, or, or will we be repentant? The heartbreaking conclusion to the story of Uzziah is that he dies a leper. As you guys might know, in leprosy throughout scripture, it's a very clear picture and an indicator that sin is present in an individual. And God's heart from the beginning is that that would not be the end of people. In the Old Testament, he uses different methods and he heals people. In the New Testament, Jesus is just like, blot out, and he heals people. Leprosy gone, dealt with. But instead of repenting from his pride and his presumptuous ways, that he could do what was reserved for the priests, Uzziah was cut off from the house of the Lord. And that is heartbreaking. And God never desires that for any, any person. We, we hear his, his will all throughout the scripture. And it's really clearly seen in Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If we're talking about seeking and finding and, and prospering this morning, and the Lord is not hard to find. He's evident in his creation. Look around. Look at your body. Look at, look at the majesty of the physical creation. He is not hard to see. He's there. He's evident. Jesus is not hiding. He wants to be found. He's not playing some weird game. The word of God, it cannot be, like this book cannot be anything other than the word of God if you take any, any amount of time looking at it. He's not hiding. He's close by and he's ready to respond. He's ready to forgive. But our role is that we have to seek him out. 
So I'm talking to a, a, a group that I don't know as well because I'm a second servicer. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my group. That's my peoples. You're my peoples too. Don't get offended. Chill out. I don't know where you guys are at. I don't know where you stand. But Jesus Christ loves you so very dearly. And if you've never found that love and, and accepted him into your heart, man, would you just seek out counsel this morning? Would you recognize that your sin separates you from a loving God who has no desire for you to be in that condition? And would you take a step forward? Would you check with somebody? Would you just open up a conversation or begin seeking him in some way? Because he will answer. Okay, so on the bottom of your handout, um, I gave you guys just a list. These are the things that I'm praying for my son. These are the things that I'm praying for our kids out there, your kids. <laughs> Um, these are the things that you can pray for your physical children, your spiritual children, that they'd be leaders, that they would continue the work of the Lord, um, that they'd have long and prosperous lives serving the Lord, they'd be obedient, they'd independently seek the Lord, that God would make them to truly prosper, not this worldly prosperity, that they would stand against the enemy, that they wouldn't lose focus on what is true and who is truly powerful, that they would remain humble, and that they would repent instead of rebel when their sin is made known. And then finally, unlike Uzziah, that their sin would be resolved by Christ. So we're going to close in praise this morning. But I want to invite you guys to respond. Every message that I preach out there with the kids, I'm like, there's a next step. What's your next step? I just want you guys to consider that. What has the Lord said to you this morning? What is he inviting you to? What is he calling you to? How is he drawing you? The Lord has a next step. And this is the space. This is your time to be able to do that. This is, this is the place. Uzziah started well, he lost focus, and then he died proud, unrepentant, and lowly. And maybe this morning you're realizing that you know Christ, but you haven't been seeking him. Like it's passive, it's, it's lackluster, it's, it's not really there. You're just not seeking him. Or you know what his word says, and you're just choosing not to obey him. And we do that from time to time or you've been trying to prosper in this world, your, your, your attention's set on the wrong thing. Perhaps you've been engaged in ministry, but you've been depending on your own power for it, right? We can do that. Or you're desiring to see your name spread instead of the Lord's name spread. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you have a disciple, and you just want to take a moment to lift them up in a more fervent and faith-filled way than you have been. Relax in that at times. Or perhaps you're recognizing that you've just been out of bounds. Those things you've been doing, they don't pertain to you. You're out of bounds, you're in sin, and you need to address it, and you need to turn from it instead of, ugh, don't, come, don't keep me accountable. I don't know what it is, but I know that our God is a merciful, loving God, and he's ready to meet with you. And we'll have people up here, um, we'll have people that are willing to just sit with you, to cry with you, to pray with you, to do whatever it is that you need to do, but I, I just invite you to... Humble yourself and move forward in your faith. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Uzziah um, and what we could glean from it. God, I pray that as we close in praise that we would not only lift up our voices, but we would come forward and lift up all that we are to you. Um, Lord, help us as a ministry, as individuals at Midtown, to continue <laughs> in a low posture, in a place of dependence and humility. Um, Lord, protect us from moving, whether aware or unaware, into this place of presumptuous, prideful sin. 
God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.